Go ahead and open your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 8. We've been walking through this letter to the church in Corinth. Um, today we actually will do all of uh, chapter 8. It's 13 verses. Uh, it'll be the halfway point of the letter uh, that we'll have gotten to. And um, this is a, a chapter that, if we're really honest, most of us have skipped over. Because even if we've read 1 Corinthians, we read the first verse of, of chapter 8, and we kind of, even if we finish reading, we just check out. And the reason for that is because it just doesn't seem to be all that relevant to our lives. Here, here's what it says. Um, now, concerning food offered to idols. Like, that's how it starts. Concerning food that's been offered or sacrificed to idols. And we're thinking, you know what? That's not something any of us really have to worry about. And so we would be quick to just pass that through or read it with a very cursory kind of a glance and not dig in. But here's what I want to tell you. This is actually one of the most important things for us to navigate through here because it is hyper-relevant to the world that we live in. In fact, it's hyper-relevant to every culture every time. Because here's what it's really about. It's really about answering the question, how far does Christian freedom go in regards to behavior that's not specifically forbidden in Scripture? Right? So I want you to track that. Like, there are things in the Bible that are specifically forbidden. Therefore, we can unapologetically, with confidence, preach. Every church ought to be, not every church does, but every church ought to be preaching about these things as sin, because the Bible calls them sin, right? Lust, drunkenness, covetousness, murder, stealing. All of these things are sin. Pornography. Like all of these things, we can clearly say the Bible forbids them, therefore they're sin. But there are a whole slew of things that the Bible doesn't address and the question for us is, how much freedom do we have in those things? I'll give you a couple of examples. If you're my age or older, you probably, and you've been a part of the church, you went through some culture wars on some of these things. Cards, playing cards. Playing cards is a thing now, we just do it, right? But, but for a long time, playing cards, that was something that the church wasn't sure if it should be accepted. Going to movies. Alcohol in general. Dancing. You remember Footloose? Right? Not the newfangled 2010 Footloose. But I'm talking Kevin Bacon Footloose. You remember where the dangers of rock and roll and dancing were so evident that they banned them in the town. And for Aubrey's sake, I have to tell you this. Do you know what my position is on dancing? Is you can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. Because if they don't... Who knows the safety dance? The song from the 80s? You're welcome, Aubrey. Um, she's watching online from my mother-in-law's house. And so she's like, hey, if you say that, I'll watch. I was like, you're going to watch anyway, but okay. I'll say it for you. But, but yeah, these are cultural issues, 
right? These are cultural issues that the Bible doesn't forbid, and the church has tried to figure out whether or not they're acceptable. Now, here's the deal. We don't worry too much about dancing and cards and movies in our day. Forty years ago, we did. We worry about different things. Here are questions that I'm asked sometimes about Matt. The Bible doesn't specifically speak to this issue, so what are we to do? Alcohol. Can we drink? Oh, you're going to love this one. Marijuana. Can we smoke it? Not in Iowa. It's illegal in Iowa, but it's two hours away. If you you drive to my parents' house, I don't know why you would do that, but if you did drive to my parents' house in Illinois, it's legal. And in multiple other states, it's legal. So is it okay? Like these are issues that we have to wrestle with, right? Because they're not specifically forbidden in Scripture, some of you are like, so what's the answer to that? We'll talk another time. That's not what we're dealing with here. Um, but, but the question is, the Bible doesn't specifically forbid, so how am I supposed to figure out my freedom? And this gets tricky. Okay? So, so here's what we have to do. We have to figure out how to view it. I'm going I'm to read for you the 13 verses in 1 Corinthians, and, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to hear, and then we're going to break it apart a little bit as we go. But what you're going to hear is you're going to hear Paul say about food sacrificed to idols. You're going to hear him say, I don't care. Eat what you want to eat. You're right. Idols are nothing. You go ahead and enjoy the food that was sacrificed to an idol. It's no big deal. But you better not allow your freedom to indulge, cause somebody else to sin. So we're going to walk through that a little bit. Let me read it for you here. It says, now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up. Instead, love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many so-called gods and many lords, yet for us... There is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. For will not Uh, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And, And so by your knowledge, the weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you actually sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brothers stumble. Now, as we jump in here, 
Okay? We're going to wrestle with this. We're going to have some people that think there ought to be more restrictions and that that's the safest way to live the Christian life. We're going to have other people who think there ought to be more liberties and freedoms, and that's the way to really truly live the Christian life. Here's what I'm going to say as we get started. Even though there is disagreement between these two types of people, what they are both trying to do is to live the Christian life in a way that honors God. They may approach it differently, and extremes are dangerous, either side of the spectrum, but they are trying to honor God. And so I want us to approach this, even if you're going to disagree with humility and with otherness, other-focused, right? To be able to, to decide that somebody else and the way they are and the way they think is as important as me and the way I am and the way I think. Okay? So here's the thing about freedom. You cannot live a good Christian life without understanding that you are free. You are free from regulations. You are free from religious rituals. You are free from obligation. Look, Jesus talks about this in in John. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And when you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will actually set you free from the bondage. Paul says this in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, for the Lord is spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, guess what? There is freedom. Paul says to the church in Galatia, so Christ has truly set us free. Make sure that you stay free. Don't wrap yourself up in rules and regulations. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. It is critically important that we realize that as Christians, we are free. There's a problem, though. We also know that there are some things that lead us down a path that binds us to sin. That's why Peter says, for you're free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And so this is where we wrestle. We're stuck in this, right? I'll give you the perfect example. Pornography, bad, right? We all can agree that pornography is sin. Movies are okay. Movies are okay. At what point in time does a movie cross the line from okay to not okay? At what point in time does my liberty to watch a movie, because I'm free of rules and restrictions and regulations, I'm free from it. What point in time does it cross a line though and it becomes now I'm engaged in something that's not all right anymore? Some people I know have said, well, we we just won't watch R-rated movies. We'll just stay away from R-rated movies. But then you miss things like Braveheart, Saving Private Ryan. Like, these are good movies. Some people have said, well, I'll, I'll turn it off and I won't watch it if there's nudity. Like, where does the line exist? Like, implied sex is okay, but if I have to watch, where does the line exist? And this is what I'm saying is, is this is not a matter of black and white. 
right? That's why the, it's why they're asking the question. It's why they're asking Paul the question. Remember, these are questions that, that they, they've written to Paul asking, and he's trying to answer, because it's not simply a matter of yes or no. But this is a whole mess of things. The Bible, God, Christ, does not forbid, but we still have to be wise in what we do. And, and I know for, for some of us, it seems simple. You're just like, avoid it. Avoid it at all costs. And for some of you, you're, you're on the other end going, it's simple. If Christ doesn't say no to it, then it's fine. And we, we end up on two sides of the spectrum. The first one is legalism. Legalism is dangerous. When you're engaged in legalism, you assume that every action is either good or bad. There is zero gray area. Everything is either right or everything is either wrong. So here's what we do when we're being legalistic. We give ourselves a checklist of do's and don'ts. And we believe that right moral living is living a life of following the rules. Here's the problem with that. The legalist, at the heart of it, might look super spiritual on the outside. They might look on the outside like they are really spiritual. But on the inside, they're not. Because they're not trusting the Holy Spirit to guide them. But what they're doing is they're trusting the rules to guide them. It's like when you microwave lasagna. You ever, you ever microwave lasagna? Come on, who likes the lasagna? I do. I love the lasagna. But here's what happens. When you're having lasagna leftovers and you put it in the microwave for the two minutes or whatever it is and it's steamy and it's hot and you take it out and you bite into it, what happens? It's cold in the middle. Right? It looks like it's ready. It looks like it's ready to go. It's hot. It's steamy. Christians that are legalists look like they are walking in the spirit. They're not walking in the spirit necessarily. They're just following the rules. They're not trusting the Holy Spirit to guide them. They're just doing the checklist. And if you think I'm being extra harsh about people that are legalistic, uh, remember that Jesus saved his harshest words for those that were legalistic. The Pharisees and the scribes said they were like whitewashed tombs. Looked good on the outside, but on the inside they were full of death. Right? Legalism is problematic. But guess what? So is the other end of the spectrum. The other extreme is problematic. When we have license and we say, well, the Bible doesn't forbid it, so I can do whatever I want. As long as the Bible doesn't say no, I'm good. And so we, we just do whatever. We act as if, if it's not specifically forbidden, that it's actually not just okay, but it's really good for us to do it. Right? And we take the priority to have freedom over holiness. Because you and I both know there are things that just because the Bible doesn't say no to them, there are things that get in the way of your holiness. But you're like, but I have freedom to do this. Yeah, you do. But it's still getting in the way of your holiness. And that can't be good. Or our, our freedom, we prioritize that over our relationships with other people. And so what happens with these folks is while, while the legalists look spiritual, but maybe they aren't because they're just following the rules, these people, even though they've surrendered to Jesus, they end up looking a whole lot like everybody else. 
Uh, maybe they, they don't commit any gross public sins, but, but their behavior doesn't look all that different. Neither one of these is the place that we're supposed to be. But Paul says what's appropriate here is for us to figure out what our Christian liberty looks like and how to walk that in humility. And that's the whole point of this text. So let's dig in here. If you've got your Bibles open, we're still in, in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 1. And, and all that introduction, and, and now we get to the first half of verse 1. We're really cruising. We're moving fast. Now, concerning food offered to idols. Now, I, the reason we pause there is, is because I want you to understand exactly what that's referring to, because culturally, we don't have anything like that. There are parts of the world where maybe this would still be an issue with some people that are saved out of idolatrous regions where they still sacrifice food to idols or small G gods. Um, that may be a thing. But for us, we don't have anything like that. Here's what this means, right? The Greeks um, and the Romans both, so everybody that would have been in Corinth, um, besides uh, Jews that were there, but, but almost every Gentile in Corinth would have been polytheistic. Polytheistic means they believed in a lot of gods. They had a god for everything. The god of the harvest, the god of fertility, the god of love, the god of war, the god of sun. They had gods for everything. And each god had a temple and shrines that you would go worship at. And not only were the Greeks and the Romans polytheistic, but they were also polydemonistic. They believed that there were evil spirits everywhere. And that the chief goal of an evil spirit was to possess you. And that the easiest way for an evil spirit to possess you was to sneak in through your food. So here's how it would work. They would attach themselves to a living animal. Then when that animal was slaughtered and prepared and eaten, then the evil spirit would be in you. The only way to ensure that that didn't happen was to take your animal and have it blessed and sacrificed to one of the gods. And so that's what happened, right? Especially that's what happened um, if you were serving food to someone else or you were holding a festival. You would take the animal, you would take it to one of the many temples, and you would have it sacrificed to that God, cleansing it from evil spirits. And then the sacrifice would be divvied up into three. A third of it would be burned up on the altar. A third of it would go to the priest as payment. And a third I would get to keep. And then when I served food to my friends or I had a gathering, the food that I served would be cleansed, would be food sacrificed to an idol. On top of that, this food was easy to get and it was sought after. Here's the thing. People brought so many animals to sacrifice that the priests had way more than they could eat. Their portion was way more than they could eat, so they sold it. They sold it in the markets. And people paid for it in the markets because they wanted food that was pure. So for a, for a Christian in Corinth, it would have been impossible to avoid food that had been sacrificed to idols. This isn't one of those things where you would just say, you know, why are you asking this question? Just stay away from it. Well, you, they couldn't stay away from it. It was everywhere. Right? It, it's akin in our culture, right? If you're going to have a tailgate or you're going to go watch a football game or you're going to have a backyard barbecue, odds are there's going to be alcohol. 
You just can't say, well, I'll avoid the alcohol. It's going to be there. Right? We just can't stay away from it. They couldn't stay away from food offered to idols. It was part of the culture. And so they're asking the question, what do we do with that? And so Paul says, well, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possesses knowledge. But this knowledge, you'll notice the quotes there, because this is what they said in their letter to him. They're like, hey, we all possess knowledge. We know that idols are nothing, so we should just be able to eat whatever we want. And Paul says, you're right. We do all possess knowledge. But the knowledge, all that does is puff you up and make you arrogant. Instead of the knowledge, focus on love, because instead of being arrogant in your knowledge, love actually builds us up together. Now, I want you to be clear here. There is never a thing wrong with knowledge. There is never a thing wrong with knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is right. It is good for us to pursue knowledge, right? But knowledge isn't enough. When you are wise in the word of God, that is good. It is essential. But it's not sufficient. In fact, here's what happens. Typically, the more we learn, the more we learn about God, the more we learn about doctrine, the more we learn about God's word and the truth in it, oftentimes the more arrogant we become. And that's a problem. Because that knowledge puffs up, right? Myself, it puffs me up, but it doesn't build up others. And so what we need is to be full, not just of truth, not just of knowledge, but also of grace, right? This is what Jesus was. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, instead, we will speak the truth. Yes, we will use our knowledge and we will share our knowledge, but we will do it in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ. This is the humility and otherness that's important. Paul says, yes, you're right. Of course you're right. Of course you have the knowledge that you can eat this food. Of course you're right. But that knowledge, if you're not careful, it's not building up others. It's just building up yourself. And that's not the point. We keep going. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. So, so this is just this, this thing that Paul's saying. is like, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're just not as smart as you think you are. Like, you know this, right? Smart people, wise people, they know that they don't know things. Unwise people, they don't have a clue what they don't know. They think they've got all the knowledge they need. But when you're truly wise, you know that there's a whole host of things that you are, um, that you don't know. He says, but here's the deal. If you love well, everyone can see that. If you love well, that will build up. If you love well, there's the evidence that you're following God, right? There's the evidence that you're known by God and that you know him and he knows you. So here, here's, here's what Paul's saying. He's like, if you have to pick one to excel in knowledge or excel in love, man, excel in love. 
Now, don't mishear me. Biblical knowledge is good and should be pursued, but never at the expense of people. Because that just puffs up. It doesn't build up. Pursue knowledge and love. Keep going. He says, Therefore, so, as to the eating of food offered to idols. Yes, I agree. with This is Paul saying, I agree with you. We know that an idol has no real existence. It's not really a god. Right? It's not. Uh, there's no real existence. There is no God but the one true God of the universe. For all there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, and, and people will worship many gods and many lords, yet for us, we know there is only one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, right? There is only one God. People may worship a lot of other little gods. There may be idols. There may be these things. Paul says that we know there's only one God. It's the God of the universe, and we exist for him. And there's only one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He says, you're right. Idols are nothing. Idols are nothing. But... Here's the rub. Not everybody knows that. Because idols are nothing. You know what idols are? In the Old Testament, idols are either made up little trinkets or idols are, um, there is power maybe through demons or the enemy, right? But, but there is no such thing as another God. There is one God, Right? That's the first thing. It's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. Don't even pretend to acknowledge them. They're not real. Paul says, you're right. They're nothing. And because they're nothing, the meat that's sacrificed to them, guess what it is? It's just meat. Like, it doesn't have any special power. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just meat that's been sacrificed. It's abundant. You can get it. If you eat it, no worries. It's just meat. If your buddy invites you over to his house and, and he has a steak for you and, and, and that steak was, was sacrificed to the sun god, whatever. Don't worry about it. Just eat the steak with him. It's no biggie. It's not a problem. He says, you're right. Except this. Not everybody knows it. Not everybody knows. Not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as if it really were offered to an idol, and then their conscience being weak is defiled. Now, this, this is where it gets a little confusing. So what Paul's saying is, you're right, there's nothing wrong with that meat. Unless. Unless you think there is. Now, this is, this is where this gets a little weird, because we have to start to define what conscience is and what weakness is. Let me start by saying this. Again, we, we've said this before. Um, the Bible does not forbid your drinking alcohol. Paul instructs Timothy, hey, your stomach is upset. Have a little wine, right? The Bible doesn't forbid the drinking of alcohol. The Bible strictly forbids the, the getting drunk. Plain and simple, the Bible forbids getting drunk. The Bible does not forbid alcohol. And so here's what we would say. You're right, the Bible doesn't forbid it drink alcohol. Unless in your heart, 
in your soul, forget that I said heart, that's bad. In your soul, in your conscious, in your conviction, you believe that it's wrong. And then if you believe that it's wrong and you have it, you've just sinned. And you're like, how can that possibly be? How can it be not a sin for Matt to do, but it is a sin for, for Joe to do? Well, the difference is this. In a gray area where God has not said this is sinful, what happens is we must follow our conscience, our conviction. If my conscience tells me that this thing that God has not forbidden is okay, then I can enjoy it. And that is not sinful. But if my conscience, my conviction says it is not okay, then I need to avoid it. Because if I have it against my conviction then I sinned. You're like, Matt, that's, that's weird. How can the same thing be different? Well, it's, it's because it's a matter of conviction. And here's what conviction is, conscience is. It's not your heart. That's why I said it wrong. It's not your heart. Some people just tell me, oh, Matt, I'm just following my heart. Oh, I'm just following my heart. Listen, I don't want to be the, the one to offend you or upset you, and I hope I'm not the only one that's ever told you this, but if I am, trust me, it's biblical. Your heart is dumb. Your heart is stupid, and it's foolish, and it's wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is wicked beyond comparison. Who can possibly understand it? It is wonky. It's not a matter of just follow your heart, right? Because your heart will, will lead you in all kinds of weird directions. People tell me that all the time when they're doing wrong. I'm just following my heart. Stop it. Follow the Holy Spirit instead. The Holy Spirit is the conscience. We look at conscience and conviction as a gateway. Think about it this way. When you have children, there are certain things that are not bad that you restrict them from. How old were your kids before you let them use the stove? Stoves aren't sinful, stoves aren't bad but you restricted it. How, how old were they before you let them use the power tools? How old were they before you gave them freedom to just go away from home without needing to know where they were? Like, how old? Right? Those things aren't bad, but, but they're not mature enough yet. And as they mature, they're released. Well, our conscience is kind of that same way. It's the gateway of the Holy Spirit, right? As we are immature in our faith, the Holy Spirit keeps us from walking down roads that we know are bad for us or that we believe are going to lead us astray. The more mature we become, the more the Holy Spirit will give us freedom. It's the way this works. And I know it, it feels wonky and goofy, but we go back to legalism and we go back to license. We feel like we can do plenty on the license end, and it's no big deal, and it can lead us down a bad path. Or over here, we believe that, no, you should never do those things. They're all restricted. They're all bad. But Paul's telling us that's not true. Paul tells us, no, 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 no. Your conscience will tell you what's acceptable and what's not. Here's the way he says it in Romans. He says, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Great. Keep that to yourself. Keep that between you and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. I keep going back to this. I say, I said this first service, right? It's funny that alcohol has become the, the, the easiest, most benign example, right? 40 years ago, it would have been dancing or going to movies. 
Now it's alcohol. But, but we get this, right? If you believe that that's fine, then good for you. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should do something, this says eat something or drink something or participate in something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you're not following your conviction, your conscience. If you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. So Paul is mapping this out. So how are we to, how are we to process this? Right? Well, here, here's an easy example that's not easy at all, and it's kind of controversial. And I wasn't going to share it, but I did first service, so I'll do it again. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, or problems, you should email Pastor David. David at blessedhope-vinton.org and he will answer all of your questions. But let's talk about the vaccine. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're going to do this. So let's talk about the vaccine and whether or not you should get a vaccine. So here, here's what I keep hearing all of the time. I keep hearing from one group of people that you should get the vaccine. If you don't get the vaccine, you're dumb. I keep hearing from another group of people that you should not get the vaccine. If you get the vaccine, you're sinful. And what I would say is that this is a matter of conviction or conscience. I get both positions, right? The, the, the side of the spectrum that says you should not get the vaccine and if you get the vaccine, it's a problem. I understand where they're coming from because part of the structure of this vaccine uses reproduced cells that came from an abortion back in the 60s. So evil perpetrated in the 60s has led to the growing in the culture and everything else that's in this vaccine that some people are taking. And so I get the position that says, no, 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 that was born out of evil. I don't want anything to do with it. Okay, I understand that completely. I also get the other side that says, you know what? 60 years ago, I wasn't a part of that. I would never advocate for that. I had nothing to do with that. I'm not benefiting from active evil. This is something that has happened, whether I have the vaccine or not, that's happened, right? And, and I'm going to take it and not feel responsible or guilty about that. The same way that we partake in other medical advancements that have come from some pretty horrific things, like all of the, uh, all of the advancements that came from some of the horrific things in the Holocaust. We still take advantage of those, even though they were born out of evil. I get that position. Here's what this is. That's conviction. On this end, we have conviction to go ahead and do what we want, to have the vaccine and not feel guilty about it. On this end, we have the conviction that says we should not get it. So guess what? Don't. If you have conviction that says it is sinful for me to have this, then you should not have it. That's what Paul's, that's the point he's making. If you feel like it's wrong, then it's wrong for you. If you feel like it's right and the Bible doesn't forbid it, then it's right for you. In these gray areas, what we don't have is the freedom to tell each other what to do. Here's how this works. Paul says on this area, if you try to impose your will on other people, on other believers, that's what weakness looks like. That's the weakness of saying, I 
have this conviction and this rule, and I want to force everybody else to follow it. This end, I have the freedom to do this, and I'm going to shame everybody else that won't. That's sinful as well. So this is the point Paul's making in all of this, all about food sacrifice to idols, is when it comes to gray area, if God didn't decide to put a restriction in, then it is on you through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk the path that he convicts you on. And maybe that will change. I've known people that used to feel free to drink alcohol that as they've grown have, have started to feel more convicted that they wanted to stay away from it. And I've known some people that used to feel convicted that they shouldn't drink alcohol that as they've grown and matured, they felt like it was okay to start partaking in some. Weakness and strength isn't about what your conviction is. Weaknesses and strength is, is about trying to impose them on other people. So we have to be careful. Paul continues, right? And he says, so listen, here's what it is. Food will not commend you to God. You're no worse off if you do not eat, and you're no better off if you do. Basically, Paul's point is this. Eat it, don't eat it, it don't matter. God does not care. God doesn't care. Should you mess with idols? No. But when it comes to food that's been some, somebody prayed a prayer over before you even got to it and it was sacrificed, who cares? It was sacrificed to an idol. I would say this before. When you go into Lotus, they have an idol sitting in the corner right when you walk through the door, right? They've got their Buddha statue in the little shrine there and you walk through the door. Listen, I don't care if when they go back to the kitchen to make my peanut chicken, they're like, oh, we bless this food to, to Buddha. I don't care because when I get it, I'm like, thanks God for all the ways that you've provided me and all of the blessings. And then I pray the magic prayer, bless this food to my body, even though I know it's not healthy. Like keep the calories away, <laughs> block the MSG from doing a thing. But you get my point, right? Like it's just food. It's just food. That's what Paul says. It's just food. God doesn't care what you eat right? If you eat it, right, fine. If you don't eat it, fine. But here's something God does care about. This is, this is the part. He's like, the food doesn't matter. This is what matters. You best be careful that the right of yours to eat the food does not lead somebody else to sin. Do not become a stumbling block to the weak. Don't become a stumbling block to the weak. So what does this look like? We go back to the easy example, alcohol. I'm convinced that there is freedom to drink alcohol. There is not freedom to get buzzed or drunk or whatever else, but there is freedom to drink alcohol. And I will continue encouraging and teaching what is truth. But if I am having dinner with someone that does not have that freedom, I'm not going to serve it. I'm not going to have it myself. I'm going to honor them, and I'm going to put them ahead of my freedom. I'm going to keep teaching, and I'm going to keep trying to help them grow, right? But it's not, it's not worth it. 
He says, do not allow your right to become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so therefore he's doing something against his conscience. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed and he's a brother that Jesus died for. Why would you do that to him? He says, thus you're sinning. When you do that, you're sinning against your brothers, wounding their confidence and... You're sinning against Jesus Christ. So stop that. It says your freedom can't ever be the most important thing to you. If it hurts other people, then you've got a problem. And so Paul sums it up this way. He says, therefore, I make this statement. If food makes my brother stumble, then I will never eat meat. Because I don't want to make him stumble. This is Paul's summative statement here. He, he, he sums this all up by just saying, look, here, here's the deal. Um, I will never allow my freedoms to cause a brother or sister in Christ to fall down and sin. And that's the encouragement for us, that we never allow our freedoms to cause somebody else to sin. Now, here's the deal. I promise you, Paul was not a vegetarian. Right? This does not mean that Paul just never ate meat because... And a lot of times what happens for us is, is we start to pretend like um, these invisible people that we've never met. What if they're watching us? We've got to be careful how we act because there's somebody I've never met that might be watching and I might cause them a problem. Paul's not talking about people you don't know. Paul's not talking about your influence outside uh, of the people that you have relationship with. Paul's talking about the body of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is within the context of the church— Within the context of the brothers and sisters of Christ that you know, that you are connected with, that you are called to encourage, support, to bear burdens with, to come alongside with, in the body that you are connected with, never let your freedoms, never let your freedoms cause another problem. Now, it also doesn't mean that we don't encourage growth. Of course we encourage growth. Right? God is not in the business of keeping people weak. God is in the business of growing people in faith and maturing them. So we continue to teach truth. We continue to share truth. But in the process, we do not cause others to stumble. Now, here's the difference. When we talk about stumbling and weakness, please don't misunderstand me. You might very easily be sitting here going, Matt, you're talking a lot about drinking alcohol, and I believe in my heart that I do not want to drink alcohol. Does that make me weak? No. That does not make you weak. Weakness comes when you say, Matt, I do not want to drink alcohol, but because I see you're doing it, I'm going to do it too. That's what Paul's saying is weakness. You and I can just disagree right? You follow your conscience, I'll follow my conscience. But when my freedom causes you to go against yours, then you're weak and I'm sinful. Otherwise, we can just disagree. You say, Matt, you shouldn't watch R-rated movies. Okay, then don't. I have the freedom to do so. Now, I have limits. I have limits. Matt, I, I, I don't think we should get the vaccine. I don't think I should get, okay, don't get the vaccine. 
If you think you should, okay. Right? But it's when we start trying to convince one another, and it's, it's when we start sacrificing what we think is true because of somebody else's freedom. That, that's when we cross lines. So Paul says that's weakness, that's arrogance, and when they come together, it's a mess in the church. Okay, so all of chapter 8, all of chapter 8, and actually chapters 9 and 10 will touch on this too. Pastor David will talk to us next week about chapter 9. I'll get 10 in a couple weeks, and, and, and we'll continue to focus in here. But all of this is simply about helping us understand how to navigate these gray areas of Scripture. And I want to tell you, they are gray on purpose. God did not forget God didn't get to the end of the Bible and think, oh, nuts. I forgot to talk about vaccines. God didn't get to the end of Scripture and say, oh, man, I wish I'd been more clear about alcohol. Oh, we didn't even address poker. Right? We didn't get and say, oh, no, what am I supposed to do with this TV set? I never saw this coming. Listen, God isn't caught off guard by these things. There are gray areas in Scripture. We have to navigate what our freedom looks like and how we do this together as a body. If you've got questions, I would love for you to email Pastor David and ask him anything you want to ask him. Or you could talk to me. But I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. That that he is the truth and that when we know him and we submit to him and surrender to him, that that sets us free. We are free from ritual and from bondage and from restrictions, God, but we are not free to wander away from you. And so God, help us to in our freedom know that we are still to pursue holiness. And God, help us in the body to know how to navigate these gray areas. Help us to know how to navigate these things that, that as believers who are well-intended in following Christ, that we may have differences of opinions on. And help us to, to walk in knowledge and love, grace and truth. Help us to be humble with one another. God, we love you, we praise you, and we just thank you for who you are. Amen.